you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. That's the text that we will be dissecting this morning. And um, it's a blessing to be and humble to be here to speak with you. And I want to talk a little bit first about our culture. Our culture, all cultures try, everybody in them try to connect somehow, some fashion, some form. There's groups that form, communities that form, and, and people try to have identity inside of these groups. I think all of us have been there. You know, you see a, a football team and you like the Green Bay Packers, and so everybody's going to wear a Green Bay jersey or a hat or something that says Green Bay. You're going to have an identity to your group. I know as, as a youth, uh, many students will want to have identity with their fashion. And even as adults, that kind of bleeds over. We want to look the look and walk the walk. And I know me as a young teen, uh, I wanted to be fashionable too, just like everybody else. But it's kind of tough when you start with the foundation of the J.C. Penney Husky Boys section. Wasn't I was I wasn't a roly poly, more just kind of square and girthy. But uh, it's tough, you know. They still had some nice things. And, and so with each year, I tried to be fashionable. My mom, like in the '70s, dressed me in bell bottoms and circles and colors and all kinds of weird things in the 80s you know granted I, I would wear the uh, the jams shorts and the parachute pants and I even kind of ventured out into the spandex but you know that's not a really good thing when you're in the husky boy section yeah so in the 90s you know I did the 501 button fly jeans and the the penny loafers and the polo shirts you know I tried I didn't reach the apex or the king of the mountain any form shape or fashion, but I still tried, and I, I connected, and I was accepted in my community. And what we're talking about here today is also acceptance, what that looks like. And is it different as a believer than a non-believer? And Peter's trying to explain here in chapter 4 of First Peter of what that connection looks like. Because as believers, we're trying always walking that line of how do we connect with our community? How are we going to fit within the context of our community, be it good or be it bad? And so let's look right there and starting in verse 1. It says this, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Pagans of the first century viewed Christians as killjoys. Kind of dull type of people. Kind of people that you wouldn't really want to invite to a party because they probably wouldn't come anyway. Because all the activities that the Roman people of that time and age did, like the gladiator, the, the chariot races, the risky theaters, all those things like that, the Christians would not go to. Things like paying homage to Caesar every year as a civil act Christians would choose not to go to because they didn't want to be seen like they were worshiping another god. And so they were tagged, they were labeled as those people, those killjoys. And Peter right here is saying, if you accept Christ as Lord as your life, then you're going to have some unjust suffering. You're going to have to suffer. Now, the term suffering there, that word that is used, it's pretty much defined as being affected by something, be it good or bad. You've heard sometimes when people say, I have to go serve in Hawaii, it's like, oh, you're suffering for the Lord. 
Or you've heard people sometimes when you say you're suffering, it's something bad. Like we see that Christ suffered on the cross. Death, that's a very bad thing. We see that Christ was very much judged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees about, no, that's not how the Bible reads. That's not what God's talking about. You're not the Messiah. That He was judged at suffering. And also Christ was very much mocked and scoffed at by the world at the time of His authority. No, no, no. This isn't the king of the Jews. This isn't the king of anything. This is just a man. And so there was various stages of suffering. And what Peter right here is saying is if you're a believer, you're going to suffer. That's, just, that's all there is to it. If you're a believer, you're going to suffer. You're going to be judged. You're going to be persecuted in some shape, form, or fashion. Christ, 100% human, 100% God, every morning He had to wake up and He had to be obedient to God just like we have to try to be obedient to God. Christ never failed. He never fell short. But still, with that obedience came consequences. And Peter is telling the early church right here that suffering is going to come. It will happen no matter what. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. It says, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And it says they malign you. That means talk evil about you. And what Peter's throwing out right here is, is two aspects of life. Before the people here in chapter 4 were believers, they were just the common people. They practiced everything else that everybody else did. They were there. And Peter's saying, at one time you did these things. But now as a believer, you should not do these things. Because the first five that we see right here, they deal with self-control. And when we lose our self-control... It hurts not us, but most of the time it hurts other people. And he's saying you do not need to do this. You do not need to join in. And the sixth one it talks about deals with pagan worship. The crazy thing about this time in history is like if I said I'm a Christian but I worship other gods too, they'd be like, okay, you're cool. But if you said I'm a Christian and Jesus is the only way, they'd be like, oh, no, no, it's on. They would get angry. And a lot of times we can't understand that very much. We can't understand the multiple gods kind of facet of life. As the missions pastor, I get to see lots of the world. And one time I was visiting one of our missionaries in India, and I went there, and we went to a temple, a Hindu temple, to pray. Prayer walk for the people that were in there worshiping other gods. And I was really fascinated being a small-town boy from Mayfield. And here I go into this marbled palace, and there's these gods everywhere and they're painted different colors and different faces and I'm sitting there walking through this just amazed and so I'm sitting there looking around at this and, and this man that has some real colorful outfit who's just kind of sitting on one of these steps he puts this orange stuff in my hand I'm like thanks and I kind of walk away and I'm like pushing on it it's really weird it has a weird smell it's real squishy it's I don't know what it is. And so I'm sitting there going, what is this? I'm probably insulting everybody in there going, what is this? And I'm walking and I'm pushing on. I'm like, what is this? And the missionary said, well, this, that's some, an offering that you would put before a God. 
I'm like, well, I don't want this. I'm going to throw this away. He's like, don't throw it away. Everybody get mad. I'm like, so I'm sitting there going, uh-oh. I got orange sticky stuff in my hand. I need to get rid of it, but not to a God. And so I'm walking, focused on this, focused on trying to, how to get it away, focused on how to not start a lynch mob, and I fall down the stairs. I don't know where the stairs came from, but I fell backwards. I'm like, what's this do? Two hundred and twenty pounds, twenty hundred and twenty pounds going down marble stairs does not feel good. And I remember falling down, and it was where nobody, not many people were, and I kind of had a chance to throw away the sticky orange stuff. And I stood up and I looked on this wall, and it was really baffling to me because it had a pictured frame. Because in this temple, everybody worshipped in different sections, and this was the section you could worship. In this area that you worshipped, there was the Islamic crescent. A picture of Jesus and a picture of an Indian God. And it really baffled me how all three of those can be together. And that's the mentality of this time back in the early church is they're fine with you worshiping everything. But if you say this is the only way, that's when they would have a problem. And we deal with that today. We deal with that today as believers. It's like it's fine if you worship everything and do everything and chase after everything and fulfill your own pleasures, but once we say Jesus is the only way and I'm living for Him, that's when we get isolated as you're ridiculous. You're wrong. And Peter right here is saying is you need to be a good citizen. You need to be a good citizen of your culture, of your society. But once the practices come to that line of crossing God's standards, then we don't need to participate. And that's what the early church was doing is is they were not participating with the things that crossed the standard of God. And it says that they were maligned. People talked bad about them. So bad they made up things about them. The Christian back in this day when they talked about communion, they literally, the, the public opinion was is that they sacrificed babies and ate the flesh and drank the blood. And we all know communion is nothing so barbaric. But that is what they did and identified these believers at that time. Look at verse 5. It says, but they, that's those who malign, will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. And though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Unbelievers won't have the last word of judgment upon them. You know, we're all going to give account for our life in the end. And when it talks about the dead right here, this passage refers to those who are dead in sin, dead to the world, dead and made alive in Christ. And it says they live in the Spirit the way God does. The whole point of evangelism is to prepare people for that day that we must give account for our lives. Now, for non-believers, yes, we would say, yes, we need to evangelize non-believers, but us as believers, we need to hear it all the time, the story of the gospel. This whole past year, Pastor Jason, uh, and the year before even, talked about the story, the gospel. Remember all the hand motions and everything that he did? We need to hear that every Sunday, every day. We need to remind us ourselves of this story because it is our purpose. It is what we need to be doing is sharing that and remembering it in our own life. 
And so these first six verses, Peter tells the believers of the church a couple of things. One is that, that if you follow God, you will suffer in some shape, form, or fashion. And non-believers will judge you as you live differently than those around you. It says in that scripture prior that it talks about that, that they will be shocked that you do not join in. And as you live this new life, you will have the Spirit of God within you. The same Spirit that's in Christ, the rosen from the dead, is the same Spirit that's in us. And Peter shares this truth of what life is like for believers in a non-believing world. Now, the next five verses, he shares with us how we can be that believer. How we can model our lives in which to glorify God. Now, I want you to pay very, very close attention to this. It's going to be outlined in your bulletin. But Pastor Jason has said that this next year is going to be the year of hope. He's going to be preaching on things that, that also, you know, focus on Christ and why we should worship Him and serve Him, but also why we want to get this message out. Pastor Jason has a desire for us to reach 1% of our community for Christ. That's about two, 3,000 people for Christ. And he doesn't want to do this for any accolades or for any merit badge or anything like that. He wants to do this because he's looking at our community and he sees that 16% of our community is in worship on a Sunday and he's not happy with that as a pastor, as we should not be happy with that as believers. And he wants more people to know about Christ. And right here we see where Peter takes into talking to these believers of how they are to live in an unbelieving world is something that's very applicable for us and how we should live. So let's start with the first one. Is we need to have a proper perspective. And verse 7 says this, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You know, it's obvious you all know some things in your life that you shouldn't do. You know, Christians don't do. We all know those things. And what Peter is saying is that we should have self-control of our lives. And it says in that scripture, for the sake of our prayers, because our prayers is how we tap into God. You know, if I want to get close to God, I don't go and watch MTV. No, I don't do that. If I want to get close to God, I read the Bible and I pray. Because I'm wanting to hear what God has to say to my life. And so when we have self-control, we can do that. There was a man by the name of Augustine. He was a saint in the church and he was the early father. And this is, he wrote the Confessions around 397. This is about 350 years after Peter wrote 1 Peter. And he wrote about a, a young student of his, Caralopius. Caralopius was a man of valor, a man of integrity, a student, a good student, a good orator. He had hope for the future. And he says that one time his friends, Alapius' friends, gathered him and they were going to go to the gladiator arena and watch some gladiators fight. And Alapius was the type of guy who's like, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that. And it said they, they, with friendly force, there's a word for you, friendly force drug him to the arena. And Alapius said, I'm, he said, I'm going to close my eyes and close my soul so nobody will have any approach to me. So these gladiator things are not going to affect me. I'm just going to, you can drag me, but I'm not going to watch. That's kind of how his approach was. And so they took him. 
And Augustine says in his confessions, he says that Alpheus was there, not watching, as eyes closed, his soul guarded, and it said that he heard all the audience scream out aghast, that he was so curious that he took his hands away from his eyes and he looked. And listen to the words that he used. He says he drank in the madness and delighted in the guilty contest. He drank it in. A man who said, my soul would be guarded, he drank it in. And he lost self-control. And Alpheus became the guy who was like trying to get all the fellows to go to the gladiatorial ring. All the fellows to go do this. He was the one dragging them eventually. So he, he went from completely staunch against it to completely losing control and being the organizer of all these events in the future for his friends. And that story reminds me of what Peter is trying to say, is, is you have to be guarded. I know all of us get invited to events and social things that we go to with friends, and, and that sometimes it's places that we as believers don't need to be. And we're like this young student, that we go thinking, oh, I am guarded. I am protected. And yet we do the same thing as we drink in the madness and we delight in the guilty that's going around. And when we do that, we lose focus on Christ. That's the big thing right there. We lose focus on Christ. And when we lose focus on Christ, what are we focused on? We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the world. And that's not of Christ. And that always leads to fail. So it's vital for us to have that proper perspective. The second thing is to have a persistent love. It says in verse 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Earnestly is a word that is it's a serious word. It's a word of sincerity. And so when I earnestly love someone, it's not like a, an emotional love. It's a, it's a love that overlooks the imperfections. And when he's saying we need to love other people, He's mainly focusing on believers there because we all know that Christ says a group of believers, the church is full of sick. We're all not perfect people, and so everybody in here is not perfect. And we have to all deal with that, and that takes love to deal with it. In Matthew 22, it says, The greatest commandment is love the God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have to have that kind of love. That's why Pastor Jason preached a year on peacemaking. We have to love others. You know why it's so important, not just for our own relations with others, but for the community. Our community is full of people who are selfish, who are folk. I mean, we're selfish, but our community, the world's mentality is focus on yourself, take care of yourself. And when we love one another, whether we disagree or not, it shows something. It shows hope. And so it's very important that we show this kind of love. The third thing that we as believers can do in an unbelieving world is provide gracious hospitality. Verse 9 says this. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality was a very important thing in that day. Uh, they didn't have Holiday Inn Expresses everywhere. I mean, you literally would go, be traveling and you would go up to somebody's house, hopefully somebody you knew, and you would ask them, can I stay in your house? And people would say yes or no. But most of the time, that was a common culture that they would open up their house for hospitality. 
What Peter is talking about here is more than just opening up the house, more than just having people over and providing food and so forth and, and fellowship. He's talking about the church. In verse 8, he's talking about for one another. In verse 9, it says to one another. And then in verse 10, it says to serve one another. And he's talking about the function of the Christian community. Back then, they didn't have buildings like this. They had homes. And that was the church. And he's saying, provide hospitality without grumbling. So open up your home. Be unified. Don't be divided. Be unified. Now, thinking about what he said earlier in the first part of the chapter about suffering and then opening up your house as a church, in this context, that's a serious matter. Because if you're gathering together as believers in the early church, first century, and people know that, and people know that this is the home of the killjoys and this is where Christians worship, then there could be problems. Modern days, look at Pastor Abedini, who's in Iran right now, in jail for the past two-plus years because he was in a home and he was worshiping and he was growing and discipling people and he was thrown in worship. Why? Because they knew where they were. In our context, that might be something different. You, you, your neighborhood might just say, oh, this is where some Christians get together and worship. That's not really suffering. But in, in the scheme of things for this church, this body is talking about being unified. We have too much division in the church as it is in, in the church capital C, not Living Hope Church. I mean, we have problems just like anybody else. But as far as our association of Baptists, there are 14 churches without pastors right now. Because of issues. Because of division. That's something that's around us. That's something that we have to live with. And Peter is saying, do not... Have division be unified, because that unity is a division, or that unity is, is light, as a beacon in our community. The next thing is to offer acts of service towards others. In verse ten, it says, "As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's very grace." Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. God is saying, or Peter is saying right there, that God has given each of us spiritual gifts, gifts of grace. And these gifts of grace are for service. Right here we're talking about teaching and we're talking about serving. But there's many other spiritual gifts that God gives. And when He gives these gifts, He gives you the strength and the ability to serve. The people who teach our children on Sunday mornings. You know, some of you look at them and go, Oh, I could never do that. I'm sure they thought that too at one point. But God called them to do that. God blessed them with the skills to do that. My wife is one of those people, and he, she is like a child whisperer. She's unbelievable how she teaches and how she is with the kids, and, and it's just amazing for me to watch, but it's something I shouldn't be amazed at because God has made her that way. God gives the strength that we need. And so looking through this, we see that Peter says the following. He's kind of making sure you got all this in your outline. That as believers living in an unbelieving world, we should, one, have a proper perspective. We should have a persistent love. We should provide gracious hospitality. And we should offer acts of service towards others. 
Now that last statement, when we live like this, we bear Christ's name, are unified in the biblical community, and display God's redemptive plan to all. Therefore, God is glorified. That's what it's all about. Us glorifying God by all that we do. And when we glorify God by just in these, just starting with these four different ways, lives will be changed. People will be coming to know who Christ is. But the only way that can happen is to be living right, to have that proper perspective. In closing, I'll tell you this story because this is how I think about it, me and my kind of simple mind. At my house, I have a weed eater. And that weed eater brings me much pain because I have to weed eat. That's my job. And I'm a, I'm a kind of typical guy. I'm like, if it runs, it works. And I don't really, I don't really think about maintenance that much. And, and, I, and I, I don't upkeep it like I should. And so one day, this weed eater was having a problem. It looked like something from Mad Max, and it was blowing black smoke out. And I'm like, yeah! You know, I thought it was cool. And after time, I'd weed eat again, and it would start choking out. I'd weed it again, and it'd start choking out. And, and I'm like, something's wrong with the weed eater. And then the, the time, the final time, it just died. It stopped. I'm like, oh, great. The weed eater's broke. So I had to take it to the mechanic. And I took it to the mechanic, and I was hoping that he would uh, look at it and then call and say, i got to order a part from Japan, and so you can't weed eat for five weeks. That's what I was hoping for. But now he called me within 15 minutes. Might have been 10 minutes. And said, I got your, I got your weed eater fixed. I'm like, <laughs> really? So I went there. And this is really embarrassing as a man because he walked in and was like, he's like, here's a picture. You know, he had a little vial. He's like, here's, here's your fuel. It's black. I mean, it was black. It had so much oil in it. It's so rich. He's like, so I just, I just put a new mix in your engine. It looked like this. And he had it. It was like kind of kind of yellowish clear and not black. It was kind of yellowish. He said, it works just fine. It's like, <laughs> really? Wow. Thank you. And so, embarrassed, I took my weed eater. He didn't even charge me for it. That's how bad he felt for me. <laughs> That's bad. And so I went back and I was able to weed eat just fine. But thinking about this message and thinking about this scripture and looking at the new year, it makes me wonder how our mix is, our spiritual mix, if you think about it. You know, with the, the mix of the fuel and this weed, or it, was, it had the wrong ratio. It, had to, it wasn't properly done to provide proper running of the engine. And many of us in our lives today spiritually have a bad mix. We have something that's in our lives that is preventing us from being who we need to be in Christ. And I just want to, I want to urge you to think about what Peter is saying right here. Is to have that proper perspective. To be self-controlled, to be focused on Christ. It says, for the sake of our prayers, when I hear that, I think for the sake of our spiritual life, have a right perspective. Have a right focus. Because as, as we seek to reach this community for Christ, we've got to have a good mix. 
If not, the work's not going to get done. The kingdom will not grow. Believers have to pick up what we are charged to do, and that is to glorify God. And so I'm going to pray, and the altar is going to be open, and I really want you to evaluate your life. What's your spiritual mix? Is there something that you need to let go, that you need to give up to the foot of the cross today? Please bring it to the foot of the cross and give it up. If you feel like you've got the right mix and you're where you need to be, pray diligently to be that evangelist, to be able to go out in our community, in our world, to be able to share the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day that we can come and we can worship you. And I just pray that we can really evaluate what this Scripture is saying. You know, Peter gave the people of that day a beautiful message to let them know that as Christians we are going to suffer. We're not going to be looked upon as the same as everybody else. We're not going to be looked upon as the person of the community that's, that's uh, doing all these lost and control self-indulgences. We're to be light. We're to be different. We're to shine. Or sometimes we're like that, that young student of St. Augustine. We drink in life that we shouldn't drink in. We lose focus of you, Lord. That hurts us and that hurts others. Lord, I just pray to you for all of us that just move the Spirit in our hearts to where we can give it all over to You. We serve You gladly. Without grumbling. With that love that overlooks all the imperfections of our fellow believers' lives and even those that don't know Christ. May we be the bringer of the Gospel to those around us. May we change our community. Not for numbers' sake for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we love you so much. In your son's name we pray. Amen.